this. I'll do my best. Karen has always critiqued me. Well, she critiques me about many things uh, properly. But I do get low sometimes, so I try to be mindful of that. Um, so Brad asked me to preach. He was doing some hard work all this week with the young adults, and, or pardon me, with the, with the, with the teenagers, the youth. And uh, so he'd asked me to, to preach, which is always a privilege. You know, it's like oxygen to me to get to proclaim the greatness of God. I love it with all my heart. Um, so in keeping with the series on prayer, I thought it might be good to look at a lament. Brad, have you looked at a lament? Okay, so this is, you heard the text read, David, this is a lament. <clears throat> and so we can talk a little bit about that and how that works into our prayer lives. As all of you know, we have, well, we have one or two young people, but uh, most of you have reached an age where you realize that in one second your whole life can change. Your whole life can change in one second. I mentioned to you last week that in early 2008, Karen found a lump in her breast. Preliminary diagnosis was, was good. We were sent home. That was good news. Uh, but Karen realized something was wrong. Something wasn't right. So it's back to the doctor. The doctor says, we got to get this out. So he set up a surgery. Thursday, June 26, 2008. I'm sitting in the OR, pardon me, in the, in the waiting room. And he comes out of the OR. He had not speculated whether it was cancer or not heretofore. And he came out, he looked me in the eye, and he said, it, it's cancer. And so, you know, everything changes in one second. Thursday afternoon, August 21st, 2008, would be her first chemo treatment. And this was when there were CD players in cars. I don't know if you have a CD player in your car still. Um, but I strategically placed the CD in the CD player so I could play it for her on the way to her first chemo. Now, I don't know anything about Michael W. Smith. Don't know if he's a heretic. Don't know if he said something goofy. I have no idea. All I know is, all I know, you know, you, you never know when you quote somebody. You, you have to be careful. All I know it, are these lyrics, and I love these lyrics. Um, the song opens, and it's the believer crying out to God. The chorus is God's answer. So I'm going to read the chorus to you. This is God's answer. The believer has come with a lament. Here's God's answer. Yes, I know your name. Every prayer you've prayed. Now, this is what I wanted Karen to hear on the way to the hospital. And I love this line. This line, this line makes me want to get on my face. The line is, God is singing, I'm the one who brought you here. This is not bad luck. I brought you here. I'm the one that did that. I'm at work in your life. The cancer is not a mistake. I'm at work. This is, what the, this is what he's saying here. God says, I'm the one who brought you to this place. I'm the voice who sings to you. I'm the hand that clings to you. I love this. I love these words. He continues, God continues, Oh, my child, I've always known your name. Never fear. 
I am here. So there's just a ton of biblical truth here, right? I mean, in this course, there's just a ton of biblical truth. God says, I know my people. Not just in the sense that he's conscious of the fact that we exist, but he loves us. He knows us. You know Jeremiah, is it Jeremiah 1, uh, where he says, I knew you before the womb. God says, I know you. Yeah, the doctor used the C word, but I know you. I know you. And I know you know me. As he sings to the believer, <clears throat> in continuing with the look at this chorus, God knows every prayer we prayed. You know, I love that. Is it, is it Isaiah 65, 24? What does he say? Before they call what? Before they call what? I will answer. Before you call, God says, I will answer. you got to love this, right? He's heard every prayer that we have prayed. And he's always working for our good. We talked about it last week. Our good is God's perfect will. So we can pray very simply. We can pray very simply. In continuing with the chorus... What does it mean when the trial is here? God has brought us to the trial. It was ordained. It was ordained for us. Continuing with Michael W. Smith's chorus. God is the one who has put music in our souls. He is the one who sings to us. You guys know Zephaniah 3.17. God will rejoice over you with what? Singing. Isn't that a beautiful text? God will rejoice over us with singing. And of course, again, continuing with the chorus, God is the sovereign king who is holding us. You know Psalm 139.10, in every extreme the psalmist says, your hand leads me and your right hand holds me. So Michael W. Smith, he's singing scripture here, right? And I wanted Karen to hear this. Chemo. Six, you know, what, what was it? Three months, six months? I don't recall. Three months chemo, three months radiation. I mean, she's got this huge mountain to climb. And I wanted her to hear these things. God says, I've always known your name. As long as God's been God, he's known your name. Again, before the womb, he knew us. He knew us. Michael W. Smith sings, Never fear, I am here. If the cancer's here, God's here. Amen? And we could list a hundred different types of trials, but I'm going I'm to use cancer as the, as the uh, shall we say, main point. be any kind of trial, but if the trial is here, God is here. Fear is the normal reflexive response when the doctor uses the C word. But Karen knows Romans 8.28. She believes Romans 8.28. Who knows what Romans 8.28 says? Amen. He doesn't just cause some things to work for our good. <laughs> Paul, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, he works all things, everything, 
Yes, even the cancer. He works it for his children's good. It's an assertion he makes. I do this. You know, God, God can take evil and turn it into good, right? We just see it, at, we see it at the cross, right? He can take the most awful thing that ever happened and he can turn it into good. He can work good through it. So Karen and I are believing that God is going to do something as we head to the hospital. Do you really believe when the fear comes? And the fear comes. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a while. I've learned to preach to myself. And I can preach the fear down and away. I hope you've learned that too. I think it's Psalm 42. We'll touch on in just a minute. But fear always comes, and you and I are supposed to know what to do with it. It will come in this life. And you and I are supposed to be able to handle it. We're supposed to look at God, trust God, worship God, believe God, grow in God, be changed by God, be sanctified, be set apart, be a witness in the trial. We're supposed to go to a new place with God. We're supposed to go deep with God. We're supposed to expect new revelation, expect the John 14, 21 thing. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will what? Tell me, I'll disclose myself to you. This is what God does with His children. He discloses Himself in a brand new way. And we're going to look at that in an illustration here in just a few moments when the trial comes. I always love what Mueller said. George Mueller, famous pastor in the history of the church, 19th century. I read this thing maybe 30 years ago and it never left me. He said, don't ask for the deliverance. Does anybody know? Don't ask for the deliverance in prayer. Does anybody know? Until what? You get the revelation. Don't ask for deliverance until you get the revelation. Until God reveals himself to you, right? What is God doing? And the bottom line is we may not fully understand all that he's doing. But he's with us. And we trust him. And we see him in a new light. And we love him all the more. It's part of what the trial may be about. I heard John Piper say this one time, so this is not original. <clears throat> but he says, it's why James 1-2 is not stupid. James 1-2 says, consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Right? Consider it all joy. Why is that not stupid? God's coming. That's why it's not stupid. God's coming. And God's going to do a good thing. He's going to do His perfect will in your life. Maybe you don't want cancer to be uh, uh, God's will in your life. But if it is, it is you got to embrace it and walk through it with God, right? And expect Him to teach you and change you and grow you. It's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Why can we consider various trials joy? Because God is who God is. Made me think of Psalm 23. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we can fear no evil. Why? What does verse 4 say in Psalm 23? Because you are with me, right? <laughs> you are with me. So I know the Lord's with us. We're headed to the hospital for our first chemo treatment, but I know the Lord is with us. We have no doubt that the Lord is with us. We don't know how it's all going to play out. We don't have a clue. But we look at God and we preach to ourselves from the Scripture and sometimes we come with a lament 
as we see David do in the text this morning. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because our God is God. And He does all His good pleasure. I love Eugene Peterson's, again, paraphrase, not the Bible, it's a paraphrase. Um, I love his paraphrase of Psalm 23, 6. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. You're on the way to the hospital for chemo. Do you believe Psalm 23, 6? Do you believe it? So that brings me to our text this morning, Psalm 13. So David is in a lament as he begins here. You know, sometimes you're feeling God's presence and power and it's palpable and you feel invincible. You're on the mountaintop and nothing can bring you down. But sometimes you're not in that place. Sometimes the flesh is winning. Sometimes that's true. But don't you love those times? <laughs> those Psalm 23, six times. God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. You know, those times when you're prayed up and you're fearless. But David comes with a lament. David is in despair. It's as bad as it can get for David. And he needed God in the worst possible way. So what's the remedy for the soul in despair, for the believer? What's the remedy? Prayer and preaching. Now, this is one thing I like to say. All of you should be preachers, at least to yourself. If you don't know how to preach to yourself, um, well, we'll need to talk about that. You need to store up scripture in your heart, in your mind. You've got to preach to yourself. When the fear comes, you preach it down, right? You, with the Word of God, you preach yourself into the right frame of mind. I'm, I'm going to look through the cancer. I'm going to look at God. I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to trust God. It's one of my favorite things to say to people. You've got to preach to yourself, man. You've got to learn how to do it. I've learned how to do it. Uh, I have to preach to myself frequently, right? And if you're a believer, you need to learn how to preach to yourself. So, sometimes, again, Isaiah 40, verse 31, sometimes we feel like we can mount up with wings like eagles, and sometimes we don't feel that at all. But one thing I love to say, right? You know this, Christianity is not just a feeling. Yeah, we're born, if we're born again, we feel it. There's no question we feel it. It changes everything in our life. We feel it, but sometimes we don't feel. Sometimes we don't feel like we could mount up on wings like eagles. Sometimes we don't feel that at all. Sometimes we don't feel it. But what do we do when we don't feel it? What should we do? Believe it. Believe it, right? Believe it. I believe it. I don't feel it right now. David, David's not feeling it. But he's believing it. It's why he's on his knees. It's why he is crying out to God. 
What is it that pleases God? That you feel that He's a trustworthy God? Is that what the text says? What does Hebrews 11 say? Does it please God that you feel like He's trustworthy? Or does it please God that you believe He's trustworthy? Even when you don't feel it, right? <laughs> you believe it without faith. He's not talking about feeling here. He said, without faith it is impossible to please me. You must not only believe that I am, you must believe that I'm a rewarder. We're on the way to a hospital for chemo. Is God a rewarder? Yes! He's a rewarder! I don't understand it right now. And of course, Karen got the worst of it. I don't understand this, but God is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. David doesn't feel it. He doesn't feel it, but he believes it. Will you believe God when you can't feel it? I've done this for a long time. Some people, if they can't feel it, they don't believe it. This is a grievous error. It's, it's, it's that whole, you know, it's that whole superficial view of Christianity, right? Emotionalism. I just run on emotionalism, and when I don't feel emotional about God, I'm a train wreck. We know that biblical Christianity runs much deeper than this. You heard the text read. Has God forgotten David? Has God forgotten David? Has God forgotten cancer? Uh, pardon me, Karen in the cancer? Has God forgotten about you? I don't know what you may be going through right now. David says, no way. No way has God forgotten about me. Let's read the first two verses again. Look what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long, he says. How long? You guys know that great text, Isaiah 54.10. Has God forgotten David? Listen to what the Lord says. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will what? Never be removed from you. Even if you're on the way to get chemo. A New Testament example might be, For God Himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. That second phrase there in Psalm 13, 1, David asks God, How long will you hide your face from me? Is God hiding from David? What do we know? Theological sidebar here. What do we know about man and what, what do we know about God? <laughs> Who's seeking whom? Who's hiding from whom? Well, you're only three chapters into the Bible, and we, we get this, right? Mankind is always hiding from God. Natural man is always hiding from God. God is seeking those whom he will save. God is a seeker. So, 
just a theological sidebar here, men never seek apart from the sovereign work of God. And God is a seeker. He's seeking those whom he will save. So what is David saying when he talks about God hiding from him? This is a familiar refrain in the Old Testament, ten times in the Psalms, two times in the book of Job. It was the Old Testament Hebrew way of saying, I cannot perceive the good of God right now. I can't perceive it. That's simply what's being said. The psalmist is saying that it feels like God has removed his outward, visible, apparent, external, obvious, material blessing. I can't discern it right now. I can't discern what God is doing. Obviously, it's not that God has forgotten David or was hiding from David or had turned away from David. It's that David can't perceive what God is doing, right? And it's okay. It's okay to not know what God's doing in any detail, right? We're in the car driving to go get chemo. We know he's doing something. We don't really know what all the implications are, but we trust him. We don't know if we really feel him right now, but by golly, we believe him right now. We believe him. And you know what? That may be the best worship you ever offer up to Yahweh is when you have nothing but questions and you believe, right? You have nothing but, but difficulties and despair and, and turmoil and trial and burden. It's just, it's, it's, it's piling up on you and you trust God. At that moment, you know you're trusting him and he knows you're trusting him, right? <laughs> That's the best worship I think we can offer him. I really do. You know, the best worship you offer up is, is, is it's, it's you and him, between you and him. Do you really trust him? Do you really believe him? When there are a lot of questions. So David's in a hard spot. Why isn't God doing what David thinks God ought to do? <laughs> How many times have I heard this question? In 18 years in Milan. Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Why did God let that happen? Why doesn't God take action here? Why doesn't he change that? I love what C.S. Lewis says. God is always working the complex good. <laughs> it's infinitely above us, infinitely beyond us. The complex good. The complex good. This is what the Lord is working. Why isn't God doing what David thinks he ought to? Because he's doing something way bigger. Way bigger. Something you haven't even thought of yet. And he's going to teach you something about himself that you don't know yet. And you need to know. So God has brought us to this place. God, I think I got this from Lewis, C.S. Lewis. God will not be overly concerned with your immediate circumstances. He's looking at forever. Right? It's not about today. It's not about, you know, how 
good things are today. It's not about that. God's looking at forever. He's going to bring you to the place where you can, you know, take uh, your position in the new heaven and new earth. You've got to be prepared for that. And cancer's part of it for you. He's always preparing us for the new heaven and new earth. So what do we do when we can't discern God's will? We believe. We believe. We had some dear friends who went through an excruciating max anxiety, fear-inducing trial. And in talking with them, all that was left to do was fall on God. You know, as Piper says, God will let you totter. He will let you totter that you might fall on God. Actually, he says to see if you will fall on God. He will let you totter to see if you will fall on him. When nothing makes sense, will you believe him and trust him? Yes. Why? Because I'm a Christian. I'm not simply a churchgoer. I'm not merely a Baptist. You know, I am a real lover of Christ. I love Christ. I love Christ. I trust Him. Yea, though He slay me, what? What does Job say? Yea, though He slay me, what? I will trust in Him. I'm going to hazard a guess. We've got a small group here. Some of you need to trust God. Maybe like you never have before. Some of you need to trust God. You don't have to feel God. You need to believe God and trust God. This pleases the Lord. I mean, he's clearly stated that to us. I had a friend one time I was sharing with him. Uh, he was a mentor of mine, and, and we were going through some difficulties over in Milan, you know. And I was talking to him, and, and he said, hey, Jim. He said something I never forgot, and I love it. I like to share it with other people. And he said, you know what? God's giving you a story. <laughs> you know, Karen has a story. God gives his people stories. You know, it's the kind of stories you sit under a tree in the new heaven and new earth, and you talk about. You remember that time God did that? And you turn and you look at Christ, and he's got a huge smile on his face. I remember when I did that. I remembered you believed me. I remember you trusted me. I remember. This is the best worship we can offer up to God in the crucible, in the heat of the moment, is to fall on God. To fall on God. So we see what the real problem is here, right? David wants this to be over. Did you notice what he said four times in the first two verses? Did you notice what he said? How long, O oh Lord, how long will you turn from me? How long shall I have this turmoil? How long will the enemy exalt over me? I'm ready for this to be over. Some of you have been there. You're ready for it to be over. What do you do? You go to Psalm 13 and you lament. And you cry out to God. You lament and cry out to God, right? This is what the believer does. He's ready to get this behind him. So I want to illustrate this um, from Scripture 
in the New Testament. Um, you guys know the story. You can turn with me if you like over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 21 and following. Matthew 14, verses 21 and following. Again, you know the story. Jesus just fed the 5,000 men. And uh, <clears throat> he puts his men in a boat and sends them across the sea. What happened? Who remembers what happened when he sent them across the sea? Verse 24 of Matthew 14 they were in the midst of a storm. So this raises two questions. Does Jesus not know there's a storm? Why does he put him in the boat? Why does he send him across? Does he not know there's going to be a storm? Or has he designed the storm for them? Has he designed the cancer for Karen and indirectly me? Why does he send them? Because he's going to blow them away. He's going to blow them away in a brand new way. You know how it ends, right? They worship him. They fear him and they worship him. <laughs> this is what's supposed to happen, you know, as you work through the trial, right? One of the things that God is doing as we work through the trial. So what do you think? Do you think God is ignorant of the storm? I know you don't think that. Why did he put him in the storm? Why does the doctor say you have cancer? He's coming. That's why. He's coming. He's coming to you in a brand new way. Brand new way. That's why. So what's Jesus praying about? If you read the text there, he's, he's praying. Well, if we take our cue from Scripture, John 17, Romans 8, Luke 22... We see that he is often praying for us. He's praying for his own. And this is our true comfort, right? Two members of the Trinity are praying for us even now. Jesus sent his men into the storm. John tells us, 6.18, that the sea was stirred up and the strong wind was blowing. Mark tells us, 648, uh, they were straining at the oars for the wind was against them. Uh, Matthew 14, 24 tells us the boat was battered by waves for the wind was contrary. Matthew 14, 25 tells us that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch, 3 to 6 a.m. These guys have probably been fighting in this storm for five plus hours. No doubt exhausted, no doubt in fear of their lives. Like David in Psalm 13, it's been a long struggle. What does Mark 6:48 tell us? Seeing them straining, <laughs> Jesus came to them walking on the sea. New revelation, right? It's brand new. They never seen him do this before. <laughs> He's walking on the sea, and there is fear. They think he's a ghost, but I think it's probably maybe deeper than that. I think they're starting to understand he's God. <clears throat> he's on the mountain. 
There's no moon. There's a storm. How does he see him? He's God. He's God. You know, I've dealt with a lot of folks over the years. And there's this cavalier attitude about Jesus Christ. I, I see this sometimes, right? Um, yes, he called us friend. Yes, he used that word. But there's a whole other aspect to the relationship, right? Which is fear and trembling. You, 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 know what, you know what God said to his people in Jeremiah chapter 2? He says, there's no dread of me among you. The fear of the Lord is what? You know. You know what it is. He sees his men. He's God. He put them in that storm. And he's going to stop it. <laughs> he's going to stop that storm. When he's ready, the storm stops. When our God's ready, the storm stops. This is all by sovereign design. He will glorify himself, and he will bring great joy to his men. Right? This is what we always have to remember. He will glorify himself and bring great joy to his men and to us as we persevere through the storm. And Jesus says something here, <laughs> Matthew 14, 27. He says this eight times. In the New Testament, he's the only one that ever says it. He says what? Take courage. Listen, next time you're on your way to get chemo, take courage. Right? Take courage. Your God hasn't forgotten you. Your God's in the middle of this. Your God's going to do something great. He's going to reveal himself to you in a brand new way. As he did with Karen and I. You remember what else happened in this account, right? Don't have time to develop it. <laughs> Peter walked on the water. I mean, really, really cool stuff happens in the middle of a storm, spiritually speaking. You know, when you enter the storm, man, we got to train ourselves and preach to ourselves. It's like, anticipate. What am, I need to anticipate. I've got to anticipate here. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm anticipating something really awesome's coming. Or he wouldn't be putting me through this because that's how he is. He's got a plan for me in all of this. Back to Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. God hasn't forgotten uh, David, verse 1. God hasn't hidden his face from David, verse 1. God hasn't left David alone in his turmoil and sorrow, verse 2. God will not allow the enemy to get the victory over David, verse 2. Verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me. I'm back in Psalm 13. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. 18. Uh, enlighten, pardon me, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say I have overcome him, lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. I love this, enlighten my eyes, the eye of my soul. I want to see, I want to see through my soul. I, I don't care what I'm seeing with my eyes. I want to see with my soul. I want to see with the eye of faith, right? I believe this is one thing David is referencing. 
As I've said to you before, the unbeliever can only look at the trial. The true believer looks through it. And so I'm just going to challenge you. The next time you're on your way to get chemo, I want you to look through it. And I'm using chemo as an analogy of every trial you'll ever experience. And I want you to look through it. And I want you to look at God. It's what we're going to see David do, right? David fights through the lament and the petition, and he ends up doing what? You already know. You heard the text read, worshiping God. You know, this is, right, this is like real, this is real serious prayer here, right? This is what prayer should be. This is what prayer should look like. Remind, it reminded me of Psalm 34, 18 and 19, written by David as well. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Beautiful, Psalm 34, 18 and 19. It's why David closes Psalm 13 the way he does in verses 5 and 6. Because he knows Psalm 34, 18 and 19 is true every day. Even when it doesn't look true. Even when it doesn't feel true. Even when it doesn't seem true. <laughs> it's true. My God's God. He does whatever He pleases. I'm in the storm. I'm expecting Him any time now. Oh, there He is walking by on the sea. <laughs> so from this cry of despair, verse 1 and 2, to the asking, seeking, knocking of Verses 3 and 4, we arrive at the joy-filled worship of verses 5 and 6. I, as I thought about this uh, this morning, I just made a note because uh, my mind went to Psalm 16, 8. I think this is David as well. David says, I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I'm on the way to get chemo, but I will not be shaken. My wife's going to get chemo. I will not be shaken. I have set the Lord before me. He is at my right hand. It's like cheating, right? You know what I mean? Being a Christian, it's like cheating. It's just like cheating. So, verses 5 and 6. No circumstance has changed. No prayer has been answered. No deliverance has materialized. But David starts worshiping. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I want to say that again. No circumstances changed. No prayer has been answered. No deliverance has arrived. He starts to worship God. Now this is a man who doesn't just need to feel it all. He believes it all. Right? Believes it all. Yea, though you slay me. So from despair to trust in God's loving kindness, from despondency to rejoicing in God's providential deliverance, from depression to singing to Yahweh. Verse 5 and 6, Psalm 13. But I have trusted in your loving kindness, right? In your loving kindness. It's bad right now. It's really bad. <laughs> but I trust in your loving kindness. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'm trusting and I'm rejoicing. Now I'm singing, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. We're on the way to chemo. God has dealt bountifully with us. The cool thing about cancer in Milan, I don't know if I've already told you this, but it's like a hub in Europe for, for cancer treatment expertise and talent. And the hospital was 10 minutes from our house. <laughs> so, God made provision for us at that time. This is what God honoring prayer looks like. Bring your lament. Ask, seek, knock, and just worship. Just leave it all to Him. Leave the details to Him. Leave the outcome to Him. You know, I know how it is. I'm guilty. Sometimes you want to lay your hands on stuff and orchestrate, right? You know, you, know, you want to orchestrate something. I'm going to work my own deliverance. Can I tell you from experience that it's so much more fun to watch Him do it? It's just fun to watch Him do it. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to deliver yourself. God will do it. Sometimes circumstance says God is not there or He doesn't love us. David says wrong. He always is there and He always loves me. So we look through the trial. We look at God who never forgets His people, verse 1. A God who never hides His face from us, verse 1. A God who never leaves us alone in the sorrow, verse 2. A God who will never let the adversary get the victory over us, verse 2. That day in the car with the CD playing, I just wanted to remind Karen, she knew it. Her theology is better than mine. She knew it. I wanted her to hear more than anything else that God has brought you here. God did this. And God is at work in it. We're not supposed to be surprised when the hard stuff comes. What? Tell me. We're supposed to be ready. You're not supposed to be shocked. We live in a fallen world under the condemnation of God. The whole, the whole cosmos is subject to corruption, right? When the hard thing comes, you're not supposed to be surprised. You're supposed to be ready. I'm going to close with Malachi 3.3. Some of you are familiar with it. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to use a short excerpt from there. Actually, I'm going to share one more, one more verse with you. So, um, uh, A pastor pointed this out to me one time, and I've always loved it, Malachi 3.3. It says, God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Um, so how does a refiner know when the silver's ready? How does he know? He sees his reflection in it. Right, so we're back to the thing we talked about last week, being conformed to the image of Christ. God knows when to pull you out of the fire. He knows when to do it. He's waiting for that perfect moment where you're most like Jesus Christ, and he's going to pull you out at the perfect moment. 
It's what David realized through his lament. <laughs> and I'm going to close with one of my favorite verses. I think it's one of Brad's. How could it not be, right? Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. I'm going to close with that. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Anybody know? Is anybody there? What does it say? How does it start? Do not fear. Some of you are already in trouble. You're not preaching it down. You're not believing. You're not trusting. Maybe you're having a, a difficult time just now, but I want to exhort you. Do not fear. You don't have to fear. I'll finish. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Isn't this one of your favorite, Brad? Isn't this why you went to seminary? One, one of many reasons, but... I've called you by name. You are... I put this on my mom's tombstone. This phrase right here. I have called you by name. You are mine! Exclamation point. I put it on my mom's tombstone. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen? You've got to love the Word of God. You just have license. You have license to magnify God in the fat day and the lean day. You have license to just make much of God in every circumstance because He always keeps His promises. Let's pray together.